Good morning, family. Good to see you guys. If you are a guest with us or a curious skeptic, we want to welcome you to Crossway. Uh, I have to excuse my sore voice. I'm fighting a cold. And last night I got to share the gospel with some Mormons out on my porch in my socks. (laughs) And I was having so much fun, I didn't want to go inside and get a coat. So I'm telling you, if you're an unbeliever, I really mean it when I say, welcome. We're glad you're here. Grab your Bibles. Open them up. 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians 5. I want to talk this morning about this. Jesus came in the flesh to reconcile us with God. Would you please stand in honor of the reading of God's word? Second Corinthians 5, 19-21. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to use, to us, the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is a reading of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let's pray. Mm. Jesus, you said that uh, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Father. We thank you for your word that nourishes us and gives us life. Jesus, grant us hearts that want to hear your word and responsive hearts that we might not die but live. In your sacred name we pray, amen. Amen. Uh, we live in a, <clears throat> in a period of time where, I don't know if you notice this or not, but movies aren't allowed to have happy endings. I don't know why that is, but that's the situation. If the main characters are reconciled by the end of the story, uh, and if everyone lives happily ever after, we all kind of like roll our eyes, right? We're like all, we're the cool kids and we're above that kind of happy ending. But there is, I've noticed, one genre of movies that, generally speaking, is the exception. We give it a pass. You know what that is, right? Christmas movies. 
Christmas movies, we give them a pass. You see, in Christmas movies, there is usually some estrangement between people who are in a relationship. That's kind of the formula of a Christmas movie, right? But they, but they, they, they struggle, they, they, they overcome all kinds of hardships, they overcome all kinds of obstacles to uh, reconcile with each other by the end of the movie. You know, like in the movie Elf, for example, Buddy the Elf finally reconciles with his dad, James Caan, who hates him through the whole movie, and they, they reconcile at the end. Or in Home Alone, Kevin is finally reunited with his mother that he's disrespected and he's took for granted the whole movie. Or in Christmas Vacation, Clark Griswold's boss finally recognizes him as a valuable asset to the company and gives him the bonus, right? Or it's in A Wonderful Life, George returns to his loving family and friends who have paid off his building and loan debt, right? Or in Die Hard, when John McClane is reunited with Holly after disposing of all the bad guys, right? Maybe that last one wasn't a Christmas movie. I don't know. It's controversial. (laughs) But you get my point, right? You get my point. Why is that? Why Why is that acceptable? Because it's a Christmas movie, right? And we can accept a happy ending in a Christmas movie, we are able to believe that everyone who was estranged does reconcile in the end without feeling like we have to roll our eyes. Matter of fact, we actually expect it. We root for it, we cheer for it, and we embrace it when that happens. And I gotta ask the question, I don't know if you've asked, what what is that all about? Like, that's a phenomenon across the board. What is that phenomenon, what's going on there? Could it be that maybe, just maybe, Christmas time forces us to feel our estrangement more deeply than other times of the year? That, that it increases our ache of alienation? Could it be that we want to believe that we'll be reconciled to the people that matter most? I think so. And here's what Advent declares to you and to me. The reconciliation that we long for and that we need the most is not with our dad and it's not with our kids or our sister. It's with God. The big message of the Advent of Jesus is that God has worked to reconcile us to himself through Jesus. God has worked to reconcile us to himself through Jesus. This morning, I want to talk about what God has done for us, how God has accomplished this, and how we can experience it, okay? So first, God has removed the barrier between us and him. God has removed the barrier between us and him. We'll go to the text in verse 19. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses, not counting their trespasses against them. Emphasizing that. Uh, the gospel, okay, 
The gospel of Jesus is at the heart of Christmas, and the gospel is a declaration of good news, not good advice. Something has happened. This is news, this is in, right? It's good news. Something has happened, whether you believe it or not. Something has happened, whether you are persuaded by that or not. It's news. Something has happened. Here's the declaration. The most important relationship that you and I need is not with our parents or our siblings or with our boss or with the committee or with our career. The most important relationship in the universe is to be in a right relationship with God Almighty God. But here there is this big problem. There's a massive barrier that prevents and is preventing that relationship from happening. It's called sin. I know that's like a really unpopular word to use right now. I'm using it anyway. Sin is this big barrier between this relationship happening. And listen, listen to this. Sin is not a particularly bad behavior like that we need to do less and less of, according to the Bible. Like lying or something. Sin is fundamentally a posture that we have toward God at a very deep place in the core of our being. That's sin. The New City Catechism defines sin like this. I love it. Sin is ignoring or rejecting God in the world that he's created. That's sin. That's not a particular bad behavior, right? It's not a list of things. It's a posture. Sin is ignoring or rejecting God in the world that he has created. Our default mode, and I'm talking about everybody in this room, including me, our default mode, what is natural to us, we don't have to like burn calories to do this. It's easy. Our default mode is to live each day as if God isn't really there. That's the sin under all of our particular sins like lying. That's why you lie. Do you understand? Does this make sense? It's our very nature to go through our entire day, our week, our years to show, to prove to God that we don't really need him in order to live a good life. See how good I'm doing? I don't need you today. And that constant hostility towards God, that constant estrangement project, is a huge barrier between us and God having a life-giving relationship. And why? Because God can't pretend that we're together when we're obviously doing our best to sever ourselves from him. God doesn't lie. He only tells the truth. God loves us. He wants to be in a relationship with him. But he cannot simply say, look at you and I and go, oh, I know that what you're doing is not really that big a deal. You ignoring and rejecting me in the world I made, that's, that's not a big deal. It's okay. He can't do that. You know what? I know, listen, you don't really dishonor me when you do that. You don't really ignore me all the time. You don't really act in hostility against me. I know I, you don't really mean that. We're friends, just come on home. 
That's pretend reconciliation. And God's not into that. He's not into fakery. He wants a real reconciliation with us. So you see what I'm saying is that until that barrier is torn down brick by brick, until that barrier is removed sin by sin, reconciliation with God is not possible. And we're not going to tear down that barrier, are we? Why? We're the one who erected it. It's a living monument to us. Why would we tear down that wall? We're not going to do that. But here's the good news. Out of his great love for us, God has decided to do all the work needed to bring us into a right relationship with him. Instead of leaving us alienated from the source of life and the source of love, which God had every right to do that, by the way. He's the offended one. But instead of leaving us in that situation, God has chosen to remove the barrier by not counting our trespasses against us. God has deleted all the sin files from our permanent hard drive. Does this make sense? He regards us as his own children now because God, God, because God has both initiated and accomplish this work of reconciliation as a divine gift. And this is exceedingly good news. Like the carol we sang, God and sinner reconcile. And the question is, how did God accomplish this reconciliation? I'm glad you asked. I have an answer for that. How did he do this? Well, there's a couple parts to it. Jesus received for us the punishment that we deserve. Jesus received for, uh, received for us the punishment that we deserve. Let's go back to the text. This one verse, this whole sermon is about this one verse. It's powerful. Verse 21. For our sake. It was not for his sake. For our sake, he, that's God, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So there's two halves to this work that he did. This is the first part, first half. God cannot ignore the barrier of sin. God does not wink at your sin and my sin. He doesn't say, ah, it's not really there. It's no big deal. He can't ignore that barrier. It's real. It's there. He can only remove it. He can only remove it. But once he lifts that, once he removes that barrier, he's got to put it down somewhere. Remember, God cannot pretend that our sin's did not happen, that we don't do these things. And and listen, this should really make sense from real life, by the way. I'm not just pulling this out of the sky. You cannot reconcile with someone that deeply hurt you, right? Or broke trust with you. You can't forgive, sure, but reconcile, get back in that relationship where they break trust with you. You can't just do that by pretending that what they said and what they did never really was done, never really happened, that's denial, right? We know this from real life. The affair happened, and it broke trust. And we can't just walk back into the house like nothing happened, right? We know this. The slander happened, and somebody lost their job. We can't pretend that didn't happen. Someone's unemployed now. It's a real thing. 
the irresponsibleness happened and they shut off the water. You can't pretend the water's not shut off. It's real. You guys tracking with me? You can't just walk right back into that relationship like nothing happened. Until the wrong, get this, hey, until the wrong is named, because it's a real thing, until it is named and it is rectified with real actions, there's restitution there. There cannot be reconciliation. So let's go back to the question that I asked. Where does the Father place our trespasses, our sin barrier, so that he can rightfully destroy it brick by brick? Paul tells us in this verse, he imputes them. He places our sin, get this, on his own son, Jesus. And God treats his innocent son like a rebellious sinner even though he never sinned a day in his life. That's how he does this work. And that is work. That's some hard work. Jesus accepts, listen, both the credit and the consequences of our real sins in his real body as a human. And God judges those sins in the body of Jesus. That's how we can know it has been dealt with. You see, the only way that Jesus can actually bear the punishment for us is if he really represents us by being fully human, right? And only if Jesus has come in the flesh can he bear the punishment for our sins. I want you to see the beauty of the incarnation here. The incarnation really matters. The physicality, the fleshliness of what's going on here, the physicality of the incarnation actually helps us believe the good news of Christmas. It's not a throwaway thing. When the gospel declares good news, when the gospel declares that you and I, arrogant rebels against God, have truly been reconciled to our maker because he's not counted our real sins against us, but instead has really fully punished those sins and dealt with that barrier in Jesus, we can believe that word of good news. We have reasons to actually believe that word of good news. Why? Because it's more than invisible words. Are you getting this? It is word that became flesh and dwelt among us. It's not just in your imagination, and it's not just dogma. It's historical and physical and visible and not some private personal experience. It's out there for everyone to see. Does this make sense? I hope this really lands on you guys. You know what this means? It means that you, because of Jesus, because he came in the flesh, you really can run to God as your father now. He's not just God. He's God your father now. You will not see him scowl at you. There is no probationary period that you first have to pass. Are you getting this? There is no purgatory you must first endure. There is no penance that you must first perform. 
you can come home to God. (laughs) Because Jesus stood in your place as you. And he received all your punishment for real, not imaginary sins. This is better than a Christmas movie because it's real, guys. And that's why it excites you when we talk about this. That's why you want to believe it because it's real. It's a real story. But listen, that's that's only half of the work that Jesus did for us. Jesus performed for us the righteousness that we needed. Jesus performed for us the righteousness that we needed to be in a relationship with God. Let's go back to that verse, verse 21. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin. Here's the the second half of the word. You ready? So that, that's a purpose clause. So that in him, it's in Jesus, in him, we might become the righteousness of God. This news just gets better and better the further up and further in we go, okay? And listen, this is a really important important point I'm trying to make here. So listen, guys, especially if you come from a Mormon background, you really need to listen to this, okay? It matters. Jesus taking the credit and the consequences for our sins simply means we have a clean slate with God now. That's all it means. It merely means that now we get to try again to live in right relationship with a holy God. Now, I don't know about you, but that's not really that good of news to me. And I'll be honest with you, I'll tell you why. I have a real bad track record of living righteously before God. So I'm really glad that my sins have been wiped clean up to this point. But I need something more than that. P.S. you do too. And this is the full gospel. The gospel is good news precisely because it gives us more than forgiveness and a second chance to do right by God. It gives us more than a do-over. You got better than a do-over through Jesus Christ. The gospel says that God has not only initiated this reconciliation project, but he has accomplished his reconciliation project all by himself. Without your help, thank you very much. He's God Almighty. He loves you. This is why we call it good news. God has provided, he has provided all the right deeds required to be in a relationship with a perfectly holy God. You know what that is? It's perfect righteousness. That's the requirement. Not nine out of ten. Nine out of ten won't do. Not good enough. And he's provided all. He's provided all the righteousness that we need. Guys, this is exactly what Isaiah promised when he prophesied about the coming of Christ. Isaiah 53, 11, he says, Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, 
my servant, the righteous, that's talking about Jesus, the righteous one, my servant, shall make many, make many be accounted righteous. Make many be, and that doesn't sound a whole lot like what Paul's saying in verse 21. We need both total forgiveness and perfect righteousness in order to be brought back to the Lord. And that has happened through the coming of Jesus, the God-man. Okay, think about it this way. Every relationship has certain requirements for people to be in a right relationship with them. Right? We, we know, I'm going to go back to just natural life. We know this. We know this intuitively because we do it, right? I'm not just pulling this out of the sky. Every relationship has certain rules you abide by to say, yes, we're, we're in this relationship, okay? For example, a father must act in a particular way to his child to be considered in a right relationship with a child, in a fatherly relationship with that child, right? If he's not, what do we call him? Deadbeat dad, right? Am I right? I mean, listen, if he begins to regard his child, think about him, if he begins to treat his child like he does his boss, like they're the boss one in the house, or if he begins to think and regard and treat his child like they're his employee, we would say they are not in right relationship, right? We'd have some words with him, with dad, right? He's not in a right, it's righteousness, okay? If a wife regards and treats her husband like he's just another one of the children she's got to take care of, we would say she's not in a right relationship. She's not in a spousal relationship anymore. She's in some other kind of relationship. See, in order to actually experience that relationship, there is a right, a righteous way that one must think and act toward that person that they say they're in a relationship with. You guys track it with me, right? It's the same way with Almighty God. If we are going to have a relationship with Him, we must think and act the right way towards Him. And who decides what that right way is? He does. He gets to define that relationship, right? This is His project. So we do not regard God or treat Him like a powerful genie that just grants us wishes nor, nor uh, do we regard him as like this all-encompassing force that's around us just guiding us every day like the universe. Nor do we regard and treat him like a senile grandpa who's just glad we came to visit him on Christmas and Easter. And he'll be fine if we forget about him for nine more months and we check back in with him. Jesus is the only one that thought of God completely accurately and interacted with God the right way every time, all day long. <laughs> that is what he was doing on earth for 33 years. Have you ever thought about the fact that Jesus didn't come as a man? What the heck do you think he was doing from infancy all the way? Why do you got to come that way? Why do you got to come that way? Because in the wisdom of God, he was fulfilling all the righteous requirements of being in a relationship. He was performing all the righteousness that you and I could not perform so that we could be reconciled to God as our Father. That's what he was doing. That's why he didn't come as a tourist. He came as a citizen of our earth, man. He stayed. 
John 5, 19, Jesus, I'm just going to say what Jesus says here, right? Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing for whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. Jesus says he submits to the authority of the Father in everything without exception and without argument. That is being a perfectly good son, right? In fact, he loves doing what his Father wants. It thrills him every day of his life. Jesus says this in John 4, 34. Jesus said to them, my food, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. His work. What gives Jesus joy, what gives Jesus energy, what puts a smile on his face, what makes him want to wake up before the alarm clock goes off, you understand what I'm saying? What gives him sustenance is not living for himself. That's what gives you and I that thrill, right? It's not what gives him the thrill. It's living for his father in every thought that he has, every feeling, experience, every decision, every action. That's all he wants to do. He loves it. The son relates to the father rightly, perfectly, without exception. This is good news, guys. That is why he came in the flesh. His righteousness is not imaginary, I'm saying. His righteousness is not some abstract phantasm that you can't put your finger on. He performed all righteousness in a body just like ours, with a mind like ours, with constraints like ours, so that his righteousness could be counted as ours. In the eyes of God the Father. That ought to make you smile. So now when the Father looks at us, he sees us relating to him rightly. When he looks at us in Christ, he sees righteousness. He says, you are, you're all right with me. Not because of anything you do, though. Because everything my son did. Listen, guys, there is nothing you need to do. There is nothing you need to perform to gain a relationship with God. So take a break. Stop trying so hard. Jesus has done it all for you as a gift. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. How does this reconciliation that God has accomplished become ours, though? We're not quite all the way there. So, like, how does that gift become my gift? You ought to be asking that question. Here's the answer. We experience, we experience reconciliation by faith in Jesus. Romans 5.1, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are put into a right relationship with God because of all the work that God has done through Jesus, not by anything that you and I have done, 
Our rebellious record of sin has been credited in full to Jesus Christ and the perfect work of Jesus has been credited to us and now we are squared. We are right with God and he is our father. But the Bible says that this relationship of peace with God is only ours by faith. And even that's a gift of God. See, we must believe that God loves us this much. I mean, this is kind of too good to be true kind of thing, you know what I'm saying? Like some of those gifts we get, is it, are you serious? This is too good to be true. Yeah, that's why it takes faith. You can only get that by faith. I've tried to help reason us to a certain point, but here, here it is, it's faith, guys. We must believe that God really loves us this much. That of all the planets in the world, he loves us on this little speck called earth and you're a little speck on that speck and he loves you he sees you and knows you and loves you we must believe that Jesus really was punished for our sins not just somebody's sins our sins we must believe we must trust that Jesus Jesus really lived the righteous life that we could not live It is only by trusting in the person and in the work of Jesus that we experience coming home to God. Hearing this news, that's fine. Singing songs about this news, that's great. But we must personally trust that Jesus did all the hard work for us if this gift is going to be ours. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And that is why I'm preaching today because it is the preaching of God's word and the hearing of God's word, it actually creates faith that you don't have because it takes faith. Here's how you can tell. If you have put your trust in Jesus alone to bring into relationship with the Father, you ready? Here's a little test. We're gonna do it together, okay? Just pause a moment and quietly take ownership of all the ways you currently are ignoring or rejecting God as your Father. Think of all the things that you do right now without asking Him for help because you really don't believe you need his help in those things. And so you don't ask him for help. That's a form of ignoring and rejecting God, okay? Consider what you spend your money on. His his will or yours. Consider what takes up a lot of your time and your week, what you spend your time in. His glory or your glory? Is Is it me time? Or is it all time his time? He's the creator of time. When you rely on Jesus' reputation instead of your own, you're actually able to name those things. I just want to give us a moment right now to silently name some of the ways that we reject and ignore him. Just a couple seconds. You can close your eyes if it helps. Here's another practical picture of trusting Jesus. It's acknowledging that all of our good deeds are stained with sin. 
all of our righteousness actually has sin staining it. There's a little bit of, I'm doing this to show how good I am, God. Our Sunday attendance, our moral purity, our care for the environment, our care for the orphan and the widow. How many times we've read the Bible, how kind and polite we are to people, how diverse our friend base is. All those things, they do nothing to bring us into a good standing before God because all those things have a whiff of selfishness to them. All right, that's what Isaiah says. Even our righteousness is like filthy garments before him. And so that's part of what we admit too. See, God, see what I did? We're good, right? We're good. See, I'm relying on that. I'm not relying on Jesus. But when you rely on Jesus, you can name those things and, and, and say, you know what? It's only in him. It really is. Thank you. Thank you for the gift. You must believe that you've been brought into a right relationship with the Father only by the substitutionary death and the perfectly righteous life of Jesus Christ. Here is the great news of Christmas, the great news of Christianity. God helps those who cannot help themselves. And there's not another religion that says that. Thank God for Jesus Christ. See, something happens when we believe in what Jesus did for us. Something experientially happens. I'm talking about in real time, guys. Not like something happened like 20 years ago. When we believe that Jesus did this for us as us, we feel washed of all of our sins, and we are freed of all of our pride and all of our resume upkeep. See, the devil wants us, wants us to believe that the opposite's gonna happen if you repent of your sins. If you name those things and you tell them, hey, here it is. He wants you to think, no, you're gonna feel guilt. But you know what? The devil's a liar, and he hates your guts. truth is when when you repent when you esteem Christ more than you esteem yourselves and your good deeds you actually feel great <laughs> I don't know how to explain it to you I just, I just know it's true I've experienced it when we repent of our sin we actually feel awesome it feels wonderful it feels great you, when you can own what you've done wrong, and instead trust in all that he has done right for you, you actually feel lifted and not crushed. A burden's taken off your back that you didn't even know you were carrying. It's wonderful. So repent and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is by faith in Jesus that we get to experience in real time, in the moment, that reconciliation with God that he has accomplished for us as us. And that is... That's what Christmas is all about. That is the good news of Jesus coming. I love you guys. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for all that you've done for us. Thank you for the, man, the punishment that you endured for us so we could be forgiven. But thank you for all the righteousness that you accomplished so that we could be made right. And God, I just pray that, uh,
Lord, you just speak to our hearts right now and change us, that you, Holy Spirit, would open us up to receiving this good news anew, afresh. And Lord, uh, help us repent and turn away um, in these areas where we're ignoring you, we're, we're rejecting you. That help us run to your grace. Help us run to Jesus where there is grace, where that burden is lifted, those sins are forgiven, the, the guilt is wiped away. And ignore the voice of the devil that wants us to stay in the dark and we don't speak about these things. You're okay. No, bring us into the light. Bring us into the light. Bring us home to you through Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.